I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is my teammate, good friend, and Alex. And good friend is Alex Morgan. I have to start that over. Dang it. I what wanted the to add hell that. was that? <laughs> Just kidding. I wanted to add you were my friend and teammate. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of the Just Women Sports Podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Alex Morgan. Alex is someone who doesn't need an introduction. One of the most dominant and recognizable soccer players in the world. She's a two-time World Cup champion, an Olympic gold medalist, and off the pitch, Alex is an actress, best-selling author, a FIFA cover athlete, as well as a new mom. On top of it all, she's one of my best friends. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks. This is like the most professional at-home podcast ever. Listen, we want to we want to make it as professional as possible. That's the goal here. Do I get to keep this microphone? I think that's a Haley question, actually. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell you ahead of time that you probably are going to have to send it back. because I, I didn't get a return wouldn't. label, so sorry. <laughs> you get it after. That's how we get you to do the show. How are you doing? You're in Florida. How is motherhood? Good. It's great. I'm just at Charlie's disposal and whenever she wants to eat or cry or sleep I swear it's like she's sleeping and I need to wake her up to eat and then she's awake and I'm like go to sleep she looks very happy in all the pictures you send me yeah I only take pictures of her when she looks happy I delete the ones that she's crying in immediately no (laughs) I just share the ones that she's happy um many times she's sleeping or crying yes so what were your initial thoughts when you found out you were pregnant I was really surprised, but I was so excited because, you know, we were looking forward to starting a family sometime soon. And we were just surprised that it happened as quickly as it did. But we're definitely lucky that, you know, this little girl chose us. And um, and then it was kind of an interesting time because I feel like I was navigating my injury with my knee. I was dealing with like us coming back from the World Cup and like adjusting into our teams and the league. And so I found out like maybe mid August and it was like, what do I do? Because I don't want to, you know, you never want to say anything too soon because of fear for, you know, not being able to keep the baby. So I was trying to navigate that. It was like a little weird, but I had my knee injury and I was like, well, it's kind of like a, good excuse to like go home now to LA where we were living at the time and like deal with my knee and then be able to take my time and like announce on my own terms. I remember we were at a camp because I got injured beginning of August with my ankle and we had te- we were texting. We weren't in the same place. We were texting and I was like, oh, I'm not drinking until I'm back on the field. Like I need to get this ankle right. And so, and then we were back in camp. And I was like, Hey, do you want to go get a drink? And you're like, I thought you weren't drinking. I'm not drinking either until my knee's better. Cause you hadn't told anybody about being pregnant. And I was just like, Oh, okay. I guess you completely fooled me. And then when I saw you, uh, I think it was like what October. And you told me, I was like, Oh, now I see what you did there. Yeah. I, so you told me that you're like, Oh, I just want to focus on like my recovery and like my injury. And I'm not like going to drink or anything. And I was like, Hmm. that's a good yeah I was like I should say that so I was like yeah Kelly's not and so I need to get my knee right too so I'm not so I went to like the VMAs with Ash and Allie and I was like 
no, like I, you know, I made this pact with Kelly, like, we're just not going to drink until our injuries until we're healed. And they were like, Oh, okay. Like didn't think anything of it. And I was like, (laughs) dodge that bullet. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so what is your biggest surprise being a new mother? Hmm. My biggest surprise. Hmm. I feel like she, like Charlie's pretty easy, you know, like she, for the most part knows between like day and night and like she feeds pretty well. Like I was really concerned about breastfeeding. Um, I didn't really see like a lactation consultant um, and I had heard it's like really difficult. She like latched really well. I'm very lucky. Um, she's healthy. Um, I obviously like I get concerned over the littlest things, you know, what's this rash or like, why is she making this sound? Or like, why isn't she like eating as well as she did like yesterday or things like that? Or like, why is her poop brown? And it was yellow earlier, you know, it's like, I freak out. So many questions. So many questions. Yeah, seriously. But I, I think overall it's been like, it's been pretty great. Well, you're crushing motherhood. So excited for you. It's awesome to see you in this new role, but let's go back to the beginning of your soccer career when you were just a wee little thing. When did you get into soccer? Which you actually weren't a wee little thing when you got into soccer, which is what I find interesting about your story. Well, I played soccer starting like five or six years old, but I played like for my city, just rec soccer, AYSO. My dog's barking in the background. (laughs) All sorts of noises coming from this house. Lots of activity. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I didn't get into like youth club until like 13 or 14 years old, which is late. Yeah. For me at the time, like, I mean, I thought it was like a little late, but I didn't think it was like, whatever, like that crazy. But on my first team, I was kind of a practice player and obviously I was super raw, just like fast athletic. I had a terrible touch. So the coach was kind of like, I mean, this girl has like athleticism, but she's like terrible on the ball. I mean, I was, but I eventually found my place on Cypress Lee, which I played with them from 14 to 18 years old until like I tore my ACL senior high school, got back and was able to start like as a freshman in college at Cal. So it was a, yeah, it was like a different path, I think, than most soccer players take. Yeah. So you played club and then you got recruited to play at Cal. So, well, first of all, how did that recruiting process go? Junior of college, I got recruited by like a lot of colleges. I didn't get recruited by like UCLA or UNC, which were like the two, I think like top dogs. Stanford was like big, but they like got really big. I would say like probably your freshman year, right? Yeah. We had a transition period when I got there. Yeah. So I went on a recruiting trip. I went to Santa Clara, Cal and Stanford the same weekend. And Santa Clara was like, "Uh, busy bee. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. I know. I mean, my dad, he was like, here's our agenda. We're doing this, this. (laughs) I can picture Mike doing that. Oh, he was probably so excited. Oh, he was pumped. Yeah. So I went to Santa Clara. I was like, oh, it's like really small. It's like my high school is like as big as this. Then I went to Stanford and I was just like, I don't know. Like, I don't really feel like I fit in and like, I have good grades, but like, I have to get it on my own. That's I don't know. We'll see, you know, and I just didn't feel like it was for me really. And then I went to Cal and I was like, wow, like everyone's so free spirited. There's like, you just felt it. It was just eclectic and like, just 
it was so different than what I was used to growing up in Southern California that I was just like, oh yeah, this is it. Well, good thing you ended up at Cal because you met the love of your life, which is very important. I did. Yes. And you might not have if you didn't end up there. Okay. But there's a big jump between like starting club soccer when you're 13, 14, and then ending up on the U17 youth team. And mm-hmm. then, you know, going on and playing at a big pack, well, it was pack 10 back then school. At what point did you realize you had it? Like the it factor and I could go far with this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so yeah, I started with Cypress Lee when I was 14. I started getting like extra training from my coaches like immediately. Like my dad would take me to training and like early or we'd stay late or I'd go an extra day. Training was like 45 minutes away and it was just like normal. I would do my homework on the way. And I feel like I really progressed like pretty quickly. Like I, once I kind of started training with this team, like a few days a week and games each weekend, but it was way higher level than anyway. So I was just like started to get the hang of it a little bit more and like get a better touch and like just be a little better, like in front of goal, have better awareness. And so I started doing personal training. I started, I think ODP, I started playing with them like six months into my time with Cypress Lee, which is Olympic development program. I don't even know if they still have it. I I don't, I think it's like DA or ECNL. There's a very, there's a lot of different acronyms out there that yeah. I don't so know. So like, yeah. ODP was the Olympic development program for people who are listening. That was the path to get to the full senior team. Cause you had yeah. state ODP team, then regional ODP team. And then from that you would get called up to youth national team yeah. camps. So I started with, yeah, state, which was Cal South cause California is huge. So they like split the state into two. And then like regional and I just loved it. I played every weekend, trained, you know, three days a week, extra training, maybe twice. And I feel like I just got like better and better, like so quick. So I feel like when did I feel like I had the it factor? I don't know. I, I think like, honestly, when I was coming back from my ACL and I was like a freshman in college and I was starting, you know, just coming back from my ACL, I felt like just really good. I felt like I already belonged. And even though I had missed out on the last like five months of games and my senior soccer season and everything, that's where I kind of felt like, okay, I like have the it factor to like get there. And that's when I like got called into the 20s. And after that, the full team and we had our first camp together. I know. It's so crazy to think back on. It's interesting talking to you because I obviously knew that you started playing club soccer later, but hearing how you progressed so quickly from joining club soccer to then making ODP to then getting called into youth national team camp and you saying yourself, like, I just progressed really quickly. And hearing you say that, it's like, this all makes sense because for me, seeing you on the nat- like full national team, that's how I feel like I would describe you as a player. Like you just pick up things really quickly. You develop really quickly. Like you learn something, you're like, oh, I need to tweak this. I need to get better here. And you just are able to execute it so much faster and efficiently than most people I've seen. And I feel like that's kind of like your, I've never thought about this before, but I feel like it's kind of a secret sauce of yours. You're like, you just excel quickly through levels and I've like been able to watch that personally and I feel like another example of this like I said is is you with the national team and so you obviously played for Cal I don't think you guys ever beat us sorry just saying (laughs) no I don't think we did (laughs) 
<laughs> just so everybody knows. Okay, um, Kelly won, Alex zero. <laughs> <laughs> you won a couple things later on in life. It's fine. Um, but and then, like you said, you you get called into U twenties. You go and you play on that team and you win a youth national or youth world championship with U twenties. And that was like what your probably your sophomore year of college sophomore year of yeah. college wow Cal well it's because it was supposed to be my junior year and then I got snip snip I yeah. got cut um so I was not I was almost snip snip <laughs> too, so it's okay <laughs> oh my gosh I should ask you about that but maybe later <laughs> that's another story for another time but so you you win world championship on the U20 team you go into your junior year your first call up is during your junior year of college to the full team Pia calls you in and your first call up was it camp during December or was it in the spring of 2010 it was December 2009 okay, so we were and that was yeah. like your yeah that was your first two and I remember like you went into camp and like you knew all these players and I didn't know anyone and I didn't know you and I didn't like I was like oh my god I feel so out of place like it was such a weird feeling because, I mean, I guess I was on, you know, U20s and stuff like that, but I don't know. Like, I didn't know any, I was so intimidated by everyone. Well, you were the youngest player there at that point because we, it was basically you were the youngest and then the next youngest was like me, Tobin, Chaney, those players. And yeah, but you like, yeah, you knew a bunch of those players from the 2006, like U20 team. And I like yeah. kind of got onto the, U20 team in 2008, like kind of late. And yeah, I went in there and I just remember walking into the Belmar in Manhattan Beach. And I was like, oh my God, what am I getting myself into? I saw Abby come with Huffy and their bulldog. And I was like, oh, should I say hi? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and I think I was rooming with Heo. Yeah, she was like the best first roommate because she's awesome. You're very lucky that you got her. Shout out to Heyo or Heather O'Reilly for people who don't know her as Heyo. Mm -hmm. So total nerves. So you just felt like a fish out of water when you got there. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then in training, I was like 10 steps behind everyone. And it's a wild the jump from because at that point, none of us had played professional soccer. We had just played or not not all of us, but the yeah. kids that were coming from college. I went from playing like in the national championship game against college players to playing against 30 year olds, 30 plus year olds. Yeah. And just totally different. Well, also like, I feel like I, I don't know, growing up, I didn't like follow the women's national team, like super closely. Like you really had to like do your research, you know, it's not like they were on TV playing all the time. So I feel like so I true. didn't do my research. I was busy, like doing my own thing on the field, you know? So I come into camp and I'm like, I literally don't know anyone's name. I don't know like their face that well. I remember there was like a poster of like old players and Abby was like, oh, let's like do a game. Like, who's this player? And I was like, I don't know. She's like, that's Michelle Akers. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> no. I'll remember that. She's like, who's that? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, that's Shannon McM McMillan. And I'm like, Who's that? I had no idea about anyone. So do you think that you were just like a gung-ho soccer fan in terms of the game, not necessarily like the national team, that sort of thing? Because like you said, you just became obsessed with getting better and like pushing yourself and that sort of thing. But you weren't necessarily thinking, oh, I want to play on the national team. Yeah, I wanted to play on the national team for sure. But I guess I was just like... 
I wasn't going the extra mile to like, I remember following the team in 2008 during the Olympics. I remember like waking up because it was in China. It was in China. And I was, I woke up like at 2 a.m., whatever, 4 a.m. to watch the games because it was just the time change. So I remember then, but that was kind of like when I really started watching was really when I like thought like I could play on this team. Before then, I was kind of like, I was just into college, like, Doing, and really, yeah. at, like there wasn't, in terms of coverage, there just wasn't a lot of coverage. Like I remember going on, I think I went on like the ussoccer.com site to like look who was on the team because oh, yeah. it's not like there was Instagram, there wasn't social media. The coverage of women's sports was so lacking and it, I mean, still is, which is why we're doing this podcast. But I feel like there's so much more now, but looking back then, like it makes sense why you wouldn't even, you didn't even know some of these huge names that are like legends in the sport because yeah. just didn't exist. No, it, yeah. I don't even know when like Wikipedia started, but exactly. We had to go on ussoccer.com to like, look at like someone's bio and like how many caps they had and like, look at their like picture and stuff like that. Other than yeah. that, I mean, yeah, you could watch in the Olympics, which is when I watched, I would wake up at 2am and watch the games in 2008. But other than that, like, and also my mom bought season tickets to the LA soul. I don't know if you felt differently, like growing up or oh, no, I, I mean, I, I one wasn't as crazy about soccer. I like found that passion later in life. And in terms of any type of coverage of the team, it was, it was only during world cup and Olympic years and if you wanted to know anything about the team, I think they had like a blog on ussoccer.com and it would like talk about what happened during camp or like who they played and stuff. Oh yeah, it was like the parents of the players probably like, <laughs> oh, how did how did Sarah yeah. do? Oh, Allie yeah. did so great. <laughs> yeah, so, so crazy. But okay, so you get called up, you're fish out of water. You don't even know some of the players. Um, you end up getting your first cap and your first cap was in the snow in Utah. Was your first cap also... That game? No, mine was. Oh, in yours was San Diego. San Diego. I remember. Do we play both those games the same camp? Yes. So okay. yeah, I remember that game because I think we were both warming up. Did you go mid like second half? I went. I think I went in like right as the second half started or something like that. Oh, okay. So yeah, I Pia was like, go warm up, you know, and like no one tells you to stop warming up. So like I warmed up for forty five minutes, the whole like, game in San Diego, the whole second half, the entire second half, and like I had a bunch of my family there, and like I saw you go in, and I was like, I'm gonna go in too. Like this will be my game too. And for anyone who's listening that doesn't know what a cap is in international soccer, and I guess club soccer too, an appearance we call it a cap, and you accumulate number of caps of your career and you get a cap, you get an appearance if you even step on the field during a game. So when I started playing soccer, like with the national team, I didn't know what a cap was either. Yeah, me either. Um, the things you learn as you go on. Had you ever played in the snow before? Before uh, I think that I had played in like flurries, but nothing like, I mean, there was full on, it was, the, the field was covered in snow. There was, you couldn't yeah, see grass. No, that, the game should have never been played. They basically shoveled the snow off of inside the 18 yard box. But other than that, it was like a foot of snow, right? So like, and I just remember. A foot of snow, but it, it was, was like, like at six it inches. It was significant inches. Yes, correct. I don't and know. And we played with a yellow ball. It was ball. more than I had ever seen in my life. Yeah, I'm sure. Combined, my entire life. Really? 
this is all the snow. Being from Southern California. Yeah. So I just remember going in at halftime. I had no idea what I was doing. It was like the worst first cap ever. But all I know is Abby said, when we score, we're going to do snow angels. So she scored and I did a snow angel. And after the game, my feet were numb. My hands were numb. And Cheryl Bailey, our team coordinator, came up to me and was like... <laughs> you're so funny playing Alex me and P were laughing at how you were playing you were playing like a normal game but like there was snow you can't dribble in snow like you're so funny and I was like oh my god I was like oh my god I humiliated myself I'm never gonna be back like called back in like and then it was fine because back then like your first cap was like throw it like it's in the garbage anyways everyone was so nervous that was yeah it was very different from San Diego true Yeah. Funny story about caps. My hundredth cap was in San Diego, actually. All my family went and afterwards we had like a hundredth cap party for me at my good friends. Yeah. Did you see the decorations? There was a hundred hats around the house. I probably noticed that. Yeah. It was was so It was a great party. Yeah. It was really fun. So you get called in 2010. And I remember sitting down with Pia and her being like, I'm going to put you on contract and because you're my plans for potentially making the 2011 World Cup. And I remember thinking that like, oh my God, I have an opportunity to make the World Cup team. Like this is crazy. You obviously got called in, started playing. Your progression through even just that year was crazy because I feel like, like I was like, oh, Alex just cemented herself on this team was when we played Italy I wasn't there because I didn't make qualifying. Oh my and God, so, really? Oh, that's yeah, I just, so I didn't weird. Make the roster. I was a loser back then. I roomed with Tina Ellison or uh, Tina DiMartino. Sorry, not Tina In Ellison. qualifying? Yes, in Italy. Remember like Pia, I think she like dropped a few people. You were one of the, I didn't realize. No, 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 no. I didn't even go to Mexico. So oh. for people who don't know, so the way it works is before a major tournament, World Cup or Olympics, you have to go through a qualifying tournament and- Ours was in the fall of 2010 for the 2011 World Cup, and it was held in Mexico. And the way it works for the World Cup is the top two teams. So we play a tournament, and then the two teams that make the final automatic bid into the World Cup. And then the two teams that are in the semis, or not the semis, the third place game, if you win you make it, right? You get We get three bids for our region in the world. Well, now, but back then in 2010, it was like that third team. So we were we got third place. We had to do a playoff against the European team right. that also had like that playoff position, which was Italy. Yeah, so the different regions around the world, each one has a different number of slots that they can have teams go to the World Cup. And so we, we I wasn't there, but national team goes to Mexico, loses in the semis. So you guys are in the third place game. Which was the craziest game. I mean, it was played in a baseball field and like we were literally having trash like thrown at us. And that's when Abby split her head open, right? Oh, split her head open. And then on the side of the field, she was like, just staple me up. And I was like, (laughs) oh my God, like I would never do that. And she just like literally went back on the field two minutes later unfortunately we lost it was like the first time we had lost to mexico and i don't know ever, years year or ever yeah um, so yeah we had to go to italy do a home and away yep. against in italy first like a little outside of venice i don't know where it was but it was like i think an hour outside of venice and then our home game was in chicago which 
aside from the snow game, was the coldest game I had ever not played in, ever sat on the bench in. It was like the wind burn, holy crap. But you played in the game in Italy. Played in the and game And we're tied Italy. 0-0, right? Teams tied 0-0. And yeah. you come on and you score with how many, like a couple minutes left. I think it was like, but there was five minutes of extra time and I scored like 93-50 or something like that. That was another yeah. game I warmed up for like 40 minutes. And finally, like Dawn and Pia were like, Alex, I was like, really? The marathon, the oh, marathon geez. warm-up. I'm like it's tired by the time I go in. I know. How it's so true. But you score this goal, which like people don't, re- I mean, in my mind, like I said, this is, I was like, oh, Alex just cemented herself. Like that was huge. She took this opportunity to, she just scored on, in one of the biggest pressure moments, I think that we not have ever experienced as a team, but this was like to go to the World Cup or not to go to the World Cup. And that was so important. And the fact that you came on and scored in Italy against Italy, got the win for the team. We go back, we won that game 1-0 in Chicago, and then we qualify. So we're going to the to the World Cup leading into 2011 World Cup. Were you just like, oh, I just want to make the team? Or were you, oh, I want a starting spot? Like, what was your mindset going oh. into that? Because you're young, you're like the youngest player on the team at that point. I don't I know how you felt, but yeah, I was like, of course I was fighting for a spot and like, if I was a starter, that would have been amazing, but like completely unrealistic, you know, it was like Pia had her players and that was it. You know, you didn't break into the starting lineup without like inching towards it for like years. I feel like I remember Lauren Cheney and, and Megan Rapino. they were kind of going in and out of a starting spot. And I remember Pina was like our winger because we were playing four, four, two. She was like, I think our left yeah, outside midfielder. And the night before the opening game, they're like, oh, and like on TV, the commentators are like, oh, and we just got word that like, this is a starting lineup tomorrow. And they like announced the starting lineup, which was so weird to think back to like, how did they have, why did they have that? And then Lauren Cheney was like outside midfielder. And we're like, wait, Lauren Cheney's like a forward slash center midfielder. Why is she playing outside mid? And like, we're all sitting watching the TV with Lauren and Pino. Like, we're like, oh my God, this is so weird. Yeah, that was, that was wild. One of the more wild, like. That was crazy. Because like the lineup never changed. And then it was like, oh, surprise. And you don't get to hear from it from the coach, but from the commentators on TV. Yeah, that was Um, crazy. Pia was notorious for having she had her starting lineup and you weren't breaking in. You might get a sub, but... Yeah, I don't know about you, but I didn't start... I want to hear about yours, your story too, but I didn't start a game until the 2012 Olympic qualifying tournament. And from that moment on when I started, I was a starter. Like, I didn't like, oh, here's a starting... Like, you get to start for this game, but then we'll take it away from you. And then you get to start... Like, it was no... It was like, when you break into the starting lineup, like... You're, you got that spot. Yeah, for sure. So, but you did, you you had a huge 2011 World Cup as a sub. You came off the bench and you were the first player ever to score a goal and assist in the World Cup final. Like, Did you how, look that up? I didn't even know that. I don't know. Yeah, I did. <laughs> well, my people did. Nice. Um, but you're 21 years old and you basically burst onto the scene for this team on the biggest stage possible in the biggest game of your life. And like, how did you handle that? Were you through the, through the 2011 world cup, were you like, Oh, I want to like, I'm just going to be ready. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be, a, am going to make an impact when I go in or were you t- 
terrified? Like what? No, I think I started terrified, but then like by the second game, I was like, okay, like this is my role and like, I'm going to execute it like so well, I'm going to get my 30 minutes and like the defenders are going to be worn down. Like I'm going to score goals. And then the third game comes, it's on my birthday. I remember we were playing Sweden and I didn't get subbed in and it was my birthday. And I just sat on the bench and I remember I like cried after the game because it was like my birthday and I was like, I don't know. So silly, but I feel like I kind of got like complacent, like this is my spot, like I'm going to be coming in every, so that kind of like put me in my place, like, okay, you have to work for every minute you get on the field, you have to work for it. So after that game, which I think we lost, it's just so weird thinking back to that. Oh yeah, that's why we played Brazil in the quarterfinals because we didn't go out of our group first. Oh Jesus. But then if we wouldn't have played Brazil in the quarterfinals, we wouldn't have the epic Abby header goal. And that I feel like catapulted us into people actually talking about the Oh my God, that changed things. Okay. So I just want to stop talking about myself for a second because (laughs) literally that game changed things. I'm telling you, like, remember leading into the 2011 World Cup, I think on our send-off game, we played in Red Bull Bull Arena with 5,000. And I feel like they put that, it was maybe like three. It was really not. And leading into that too, like 2010, like we, you know, maybe 5,000, maybe eight if we were like, lucky like in I don't know in Hartford but um otherwise yeah it was like grim and then that game like changed everything Abby's header changed everything and then we came back from the World Cup after losing to Japan completely heartbroken like it was devastating because we were like better team we were like we're gonna win this thing after beating Brazil we don't win this thing and then like the country was like, oh my God, congratulations. Like you guys did so well. Like invite, I remember I went to like the Entourage premiere and we were in New York doing like being pulled in all these directions. And I was like, we just lost. Like everyone knows we just lost. It was the weirdest feeling. I'm sure you felt that way too. Yeah. I remember pulling into Times Square where we stayed. We came, we flew back into New York and had to do media the next day and pulling in in our bus they're just being mobs of people around our bus pulling into our hotel and we were like we lost it was the weirdest feeling people so excited I was like crying still (laughs) people were (laughs) celebrating and I was like why are you celebrating like this is weird like I don't know it was the oddest thing yeah it's crazy but also it changed soccer I think like that moment I absolutely agree with you is there anything else you think contributed to that shift in our popularity or was it was it that yeah I think we had like a great like storyline I think it was like Abby's header it was that game it was also that like it was likely on a normal tv channel rather than it being like hidden in like wherever or not even on tv and women's soccer was being more recognized I think more and more as well but yeah, I don't know exactly like why it caught on, but I think, yeah, it was definitely from like the quarters to the final. You just saw like the viewership and every single game. Like, I think that I remember like Twitter was kind of like becoming big in that, yeah, like at that media time. was starting. I yeah. feel like I remember I went from like 5,000 followers to like 200 in like three days. I was like, what is going on? So you Who knew are that. these people? Yeah. So you knew, I was like, I know I need to be careful what I say and delete everything that I regret. No, but I feel like it was, it was definitely like those like two weeks, like changed, I don't know, changed our path in, in the future of women's soccer in the U.S. 
I, I absolutely agree with you because it just, yeah, I think it just, that catapulted us, I think into the media landscape, people started talking about it. Everyone got ramped up and, and was so excited, but you have an, an incredible tournament. I mean, obviously we don't win, but you personally do so well for yourself in the position that you were given in the role that you were given. Like you said, you become a starter in 2012, you crush the 2012 Olympics still remember your header in the we semifinal. crushed the 2012 <laughs> okay. olympics we, cr- we did we crushed the 2012 olympics we we win a gold medal like that was just it was awesome it was we win a gold medal the- and party a lot after <laughs> <laughs> we put our stanford cal foe problems behind us and we become best friends in that moment we were roommates throughout that tournament and through the end and in the village and we we definitely have some good memories yeah. from that yeah which will forever stay between us. So nobody even try to break that, okay? No one Don't try worry. to penetrate that bond, all right? It's, Don't it's worry. our secret. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were idiots, let's just put it that way. I want to talk about, because this kind of coincides, the Wambach-Morgan connection of just like, I feel like that the two of you guys played so well together and she was such like a mentor to you and helped your game but then I feel like you elevated hers and it was really cool to watch like how big of an impact do you think Abby had on you as a player but then also as a person oh huge I mean Abby was like an amazing leader you know she just like was the glue to the team I think that the team was kind of a little like lost once she retired because it was like we don't have this like obnoxiously loud person aggressively instilling confidence into this team and she did that like every day you know she instilled confidence in me she wanted to help elevate my game elevate her game like talk about how we can you know score more goals and give each other more assists and this and that so it was yeah she's an incredible teammate and just person in in general just teammate leader captain everything I feel like the two of you guys, because you guys were both up for player of the year in the whole world. And you guys both went to, it was in Switzerland then, right? Yeah. And she won that year. But it was just so cool to see the two of you. Because I was like, these two are like the most iconic forwards in all of football right now. And I thought it was like a perfect cap to the year. Because 2012 was just an incredible year for for our team, but you guys personally and you individually and obviously us because we cemented our friendship in Manhattan Beach when we lived together for the yes, off season. we did. <laughs> All right, so we, we win in 2012. We go to 2015. We win a World Cup there. That was wild. Just... Even all of the things that happened through the years of like you go from a starter and then you have like you have to maintain that. How do you feel like you've been able to maintain this fire and this level for so long and to like consistently be the best? I think like what you said before about like my secret sauce, like just being able to progress and adapt. I think like I've just been able to adapt. Like that's something that whenever a coach comes in, you know, like I'm always ready to I'm always ready for any changes necessary or like a way to adapt on a game or what's like asked of me. I feel like I'm pretty coachable and um, I just like, I actually like, I want to continue to improve. I feel like if I'm like dedicating my life right now to this sport and living out my dream, like I might as well make the most of it. And I feel like in no way have I ever like coasted. So I think just like adaptability has helped. I totally agree. 
You you Thanks, do. Kel. That I yeah, I would I would say that is very true. All right, so we're fast forwarding to 2019 World Cup. We obviously we win in 2015. It was awesome, but I think we were kind of like not surprised by winning in 2015, but mm. we hadn't won in so long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was yeah. great. Like we win, but then we're like, oh my but then we have 2016, we lose, and I I think that 2016 in Rio in the Olympics losing because we had never lost out that early in a major tournament. But then we have 2019 and we're like, all right, we got to get this together. We got to, we got to win. And I think Germany is the only other team that's won back-to-back world cups, but it just like felt different going into the world cup. Did you feel that? Like, did you feel like it was different than any of the times before? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I felt like, you know, having, Jill coach us like over, you know, those four years and this being our second go around us having, how many was it? At least 10 players that were on the 2015 World Cup team. Just the amount of experience we had was pretty crazy. And I felt like leading into the World Cup too, we just almost felt like unstoppable. Our confidence was sky high, not in a bad way. I felt like we were just like absolutely ready. And 2016 was kind of just that like kind of that kick in the ass that we like we had in the back of our minds like for three years and I felt like we were like prepared on all levels especially set pieces (laughs) but listen I will never discount the importance of set pieces forever because they're just they're so important and I feel like yeah there were so many things that as a team that we did that I feel like people don't know or understand the amount of attention to detail that we put in to certain aspects of our game. Oh Um, yeah. I feel confident in saying that like we worked the most on set pieces. Like we, I, I feel like we worked the most out of any team in the world cup on tactics and as annoying as it was like in the moment to be like, we're going over this again. Like we already know this, like how many times are we going to do this? Like, Oh, why is she making like, you know, just, complaining nonstop, I feel like in my head during like during the time leading up to the World Cup, during the World Cup, we were like, hell yeah, this is like why we did that. Totally. I was reading a book called Power of Habit and I remember being like, oh, this is why they're doing it. They want us to be able to literally do this in our sleep if we had to. Like we could be moving to our positions and know exactly where everyone needs to be with our eyes closed and not conscious. Um but so and, and then on top of that yeah, exactly. On top of that, there was so much happening off the field. You know, we have the Thailand celebration that people just ripped us for. You have Trump tweeting at Pino. You have your tea celebration. There were so many, there was other, there was like other things that were going on. What was that like for you? Like, were you focused on that? Were you kind of, or were you able to, to shut it out? Mm, I don't know. You were there with me. What do you think? (laughs) I think that as a team, we do a really good job of like containing the bubble, you know? And when we get into these tournaments, we're like, whatever they talk about out there doesn't matter. We're here to accomplish the one goal, which is to win. And I remember multiple things happening and not knowing that they had happened. And some, one of my friends texting me and being like, what do you think of this? Or I can't believe this happened. I was like, I genuinely don't know what, you're talking about because I deleted Twitter five days ago. Like I very much so needed to be very blinders on 
focused. I felt like we were favorites. And because of that, there was always a story to be told. Like they wanted to spin something, you know, on us. They wanted to root for the underdog. They, you know, so in that way, I was just like, this is normal. You know, this is what media does. And um, as much as it sucks for us to have like, a you know, target on our backs. This is good for the sport and we're going to win anyways. And then we'll be able to like, not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. And so I felt in the moment, like it's fine because we're going to back it up. Like we're going to, like, I, I felt so confident in us. So it wasn't, it never like deterred, you know, my like vision for what I thought that this team could accomplish. Yeah, I agree. Quick on your tea celebration. We'd kind of talked about it afterwards and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't get it because you were like, you know, and that's the tea. And I was like, what? (laughs) But did you going into the game, you're like, okay, this is a celebration I'm going to do. Or in that moment, you're like, "Um, I'm doing this. So we were getting on the bus. I had coffee and like the camera, like, you know, like the camera is like in your face as we were walking on the bus. And I remember I was with Allie and I just like did that, like walking on the bus. And I was like, hmm. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that if I score. Um, And then I scored and I actually remembered to do a celebration because I doubt I never remember to do one. So it was like the first time ever I did one. Of course, everyone wants to then talk about it and like talk shit on me too because of it. And And like the whole country of England wants to kill me for it. And I was like, this is the first celebration I've done in my entire life. Like, let me live. But it was also so funny because it was England and it's like tea and it just, it, it was perfect storm, but I thought it was great. And I was stoked on your goal. So oh, yeah, I mean, that was definitely thought behind it. Like when I did that on the camera before the game, I was like, we're playing England. And I just did oh, that. Oh yeah, okay. that, that could be fun. <laughs> it was, it was very cheeky. I loved it. I kind of looked like I was smoking a blunt too, but it's fine. Like most people <laughs> thought I was sipping tea. So it's perfect that, you know, that story caught on. Imagine if it was like an Alex Morgan Morgan, trying to smoke a blunt after she scores. Promoting THC use by athletes. Um, So we win. Do people call it blunts anymore? I don't know. Like, I don't Uh, even know. I'm so out of of touch with that anyways. I'm not going to comment on that. Um, I don't think so. Because I don't, I don't know. I'm not educated in that space. Me Um, neither. (laughs) I have a child now. Okay. I have different things to think about. Yeah. So we win and we party hard afterwards. Favorite post World Cup memory or celebration? Pool party? It was like a blur. Ooh, pool party was so much fun. Yeah. On the rooftop of the hotel in New York City. Yeah. Because that night it was kind of crazy that they were like, we're going to really manage like who comes into the party remember like after we won and we we're like, okay, like we we're like, you have to put exactly who you want, like on the list, only like four people allowed per player. And then we get yeah. to the party and there's like so many people that nobody knows. And you're like, how did everyone and their best friend and their best friend's cousin and their cousin's daughter get into this party? Like what the heck? Don't tell people this. They're going to try to sneak in next time. <laughs> well, they figured out they probably will last get it. time. Yeah. 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 It's fine. Just go. Yeah. Go to our parties. They're the best. No. Yeah. So that was kind of a little wild and we were all hung over the next day, but we started like having fun on the plane and then we did, we were, we walked through security, we flew charter home. So they asked us if we would want to go through the main 
area concourse where people were and we could get food and stuff or go to like a secluded one and we wouldn't be able to get food. And we're like, oh, we're all hungry. Let's go to the main one. And we go through security. We're walking next to each other and we see two girls walk. It's 11 a.m. We see two girls walk by with beers in their hand. And you look at me, you go, you want to go get a beer? And I was like, why not? Why yeah, not? Of course. So yeah, we started. We we kept the party going. It was good. It was. I feel like it was quite different from 2015. And I don't know why, but the celebrations were yeah. very lively. And then by the time we went to SB's, I was You're done. You were done. Yeah. No, I couldn't go to the after party. I was like... Sorry, tapped out. I pushed through for one more night, but then I didn't have a voice the next day. So, but it was good times. All right. So equal pay. What would you want people to know that they probably don't know about this case? So I think that just like the amount of time that we've put into this lawsuit and just in general, the fight for equal pay um, has been just immense. And I've seen um, some amazing things come of it from other sports, um, within the sport, also with other countries, um, and uh, just women in general feeling inspired by our story and for and by us standing up. I think like as much as me and you and our legal team and our national team can continue to put out like the truth behind things and like stick to being honest and, and trying the to, facts. yeah, the facts and um, making sure that like fans know, you know, where we're coming from at all times. I think that that's like all that we can do. And I think just as much as fans can continue to support us, it's been like an extremely long, 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 long fight. And, um, yeah. and it's longer than we ever anticipated, expected or wanted, but I mean, they, they need to know that we'll continue to fight. Yeah, that's the one thing that keeps me inspired is that I'm like, okay, we're in this for the long haul. And it's, it's so much bigger than just us and what we're specifically fighting for in this specific lawsuit. Just it's, yeah, it has the ability to impact the entire world, which gives me hope and keeps me going. And I think it probably does for you too. All right. Last two questions. We do these things, uh, the repeat questions we've asked everybody. So you've got two of them. The first one, hard work versus luck. How much of success is predicated on luck or how much of it is predicated on hard work? Is this like a percentage or? You can give it to um, me in a percentage. You give it to me in a, an analogy. I don't know. Whatever you feel in. Ooh. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, well, I'll just go percentage because I'm more of a black and white person, but I would say it's like, 94% hard work and 6% luck. Cool. All right. Nice. Yeah. I can't wait to like put all the percentages next to each other because that's what most people have said is percentages. Really? Um, yeah. It's been, yeah, it's been really interesting hearing thoughts behind that. Okay. And then the other one, you've accomplished so much already. Needless to say that. Where do you want to go next and how do you keep pushing? I want to go to Tokyo for the Olympics next year. Yeah, I would love to continue playing the sport and doing what I love and raising my daughter, you know, around just a bunch of badass women. And what was the second part of that? How do you keep pushing? Like, how do you keep staying motivated? Like, how do you? I mean, I, mean, I get this question a lot and I feel like it's like, I don't have like a good answer. I feel like it's just, a soccer career is like a finite length of time and you have to like maximize it when you're in your peak of your career. And I feel like it's, we're not going to be here forever. And my body is like 
not the average 30 year old. It feels a lot older. And so I know with like the limited years that I've left, I want to make the most of it. Beautiful. Well, this You're has beautiful. been wonderful. <laughs> Stop it. No, you are. Thanks, um, Warren. I appreciate I love you. you. <laughs> I love you too, Janet. I'm so proud of you. You're a mama now. Oh, um, I can't wait for you to meet Charlie. I know. Why am I talking in this voice? Thanks so much for listening to the very first episode of the Just Women Sports Podcast. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also, don't forget to sign up for the Just Women Sports newsletter. It's everything you need to see and know in women's sports delivered straight to your inbox. And while you're at it, throw us a follow on social. It's at Just Women Sports. Our show was produced by Haley Rosen, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. John Murray and Sydney Shaw do our research. Post-production by Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Jesse Louie, Sarah Storm, and Haley Kopfmeyer. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports Podcast. See you next week.